Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to the second episode. Sort of try. Ten is doing great about the season. Good chance to make the playoffs. One is I don't know why I bother following the Indians. I was probably at about a three. Uh, but in the week and a half since then, the Indians have won six of their last nine, taking two of three from three pretty good teams. And uh, things feel a little better. Back to a winning record, second place, not far back from Detroit. Uh, and it's nice to be able to talk when I'm feeling a little more optimistic about the team. Uh, I'm doing this recording from sunny northern Michigan where I'm on vacation. Yesterday, my girlfriend saw a bear while she was out for a run. Haven't seen any tigers yet, but if I do, I will do my best to put them on the DL. Uh, Hopefully, we can get a couple more guys on there. I don't really want anyone getting injured, I guess. I feel bad wishing injury on people, but I don't feel too bad seeing Annabelle Sanchez hit the DL for them. He's been incredible so far this season, and if the Indians are going to beat them out, they need some things to go their way. Uh, Anyway, I want to get to my guest this week. Um, If you're a Let's Go Tribe reader, you might know him as Tabler84, but he's decided to stop hiding behind a man with a 379 career slugging percentage. Uh, Yesterday, we had his interview with Indians announcer Tom Hamilton up. Uh, My guest this week is Evan Dunn. Welcome to the show, Evan. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm uh, doing just fine. I, I hope you don't hear too many loud noises behind me. I'm um, I'm I'm enduring a bathroom renovation, and so it's a little on the loud side. And my one-year-old son is not thrilled with it. So, but I think we'll be fine. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how did you become an Indian fan, or when did you become an Indian fan? Well, the day that Mel Hall called all Indian fans horse bleep was the day I knew that I was going to be a Tribe fan for life. I was, uh, it was a season in which Mel Hall was horse bleep with an OPS plus of 96 on the season, but he, he decided to call out Tribe fans for not coming down to that dump of a stadium. Well, I was one of 5,400 fans in attendance, and I didn't appreciate being called horse bleep, but I did take it upon myself to sit in that first row of the upper deck, and in, that old, in those old days of that stadium when there were 5,400 fans in the ballpark, you could sit in the first row of the upper deck and you could heckle a hitter, and, and they, they could hear you clear as a bell in center field. I remember heckling Gary Gaetti and, uh, with all manner of ridiculous taunts, and I, I'm embarrassed now to look back at it, but um, it, there was a distinct pleasure in making sure everyone in the ballpark could hear your voice. And, um, and here we are now, years later, having endured so many more indignities as a Tribe fan, and you know we just keep coming back for more, don't we? <laughs> yeah, and hopefully in bigger numbers. 5,600. People are upset with 15, 16,000 these days, but it's it's easy for, I think, especially younger fans to forget or not know in the first place just how abysmal attendance was back when we were younger. Yeah, it was awful, uh, but it should have been awful because the team was not only terrible, but 
you know, we talked a little bit this week about how terrible Oakland is as a ballpark. Tom Hamilton made right. reference to it. And then they had the sewage problems. You know, Municipal Stadium wasn't that far off. There was obstructed views everywhere you went. It was a stadium that, and I should have looked this up before I talk, uh, but I believe it was built as an attempt to land the Olympics that never happened. And, I, I, and I, it was just sort of a mess of a ballpark. And at the same time, um, you know, you had a fan base that wanted to embrace a team but didn't have good sight lines, didn't have good product on the field. Now I think there is a legitimate reason to be frustrated with attendance. And I know on Let's Go Tribe every day we hear Chuck and others talk about it, but I think there is a real legitimate concern about the viability long term. If you've got a ballpark that good and a team that is challenging uh, for you know the top of their division, that's, it, it is frustrating that we're below Miami, and, and we should be a little bit embarrassed. Finally, Mel Hall's words have come home to roost a little. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I don't get as caught up in the attendance as a lot of people do, uh, but certainly like to see more people out there, especially you know the team spent money in the offseason, and not that that means fans are obligated to go out, but... Uh, Hopefully, you know, now we're into summer and the team's been playing a little better. Hopefully it bounces up. But ultimately, there's yeah. other than buying a ticket, there's not a lot I can do. Yeah, let me just jump in and say that we're not going to spend our entire conversation on attendance because that would bore everyone to death. But we all hope that it <laughs> improves and, and eventually um, it, it ought to. But uh, it has been a little tiresome play. Enough said about so, that. So right? given your until recent – Times username of Tabler eighty four. Does that mean Pat was your favorite player as a kid? Yeah, he was. I lo- I loved anyone with a blonde curly mullet, and um, Pat <laughs> was the, the first with that. It actually, it was more like a perm, is what it was. And uh, I Im- I imitated that horrendous batting stance where he held the bat, you know, at the middle of his chest, straight up and down, and. I, I imitated that terrible stance. The only thing that would have been more deleterious to my Little League career would have been to imitate Julio Franco's batting stance. Um, and so I, I bet you I tried that. You're right. It didn't I, well. I, oh, it was awful, especially with the two fingers on the bottom of the bat. They probably <laughs> carved off 100 points of OPS in my Little League career, but I did love Pat Tabler, um, and my twin brother was a Corey Snyder fan, so I, I wasn't allowed to be a Corey Snyder fan, even though he did have an, a batting stance to emulate so yeah i was a tablet fan good um so let's let's talk about your interview with tom hamilton which went up on let's go tribe hopefully if you're listening you've already had a chance to take a look at that uh evan had a chance to talk to tom hamilton was it just a few days ago right yeah it was last uh last friday and how did how did the opportunity come up well um you know, it wasn't anything too complicated, given that I, um, first of all, given that Ryan uh, from Let's Go Tribe has already made good contacts with the Indians team. And and, right. and let's, let, let me even take a step back a, a little more and say that Let's Go Tribe owes so much to Ryan and Jay and the work that the, sort of the early guys did in building, a, a, I think, an exceptional site. And I don't use hyperbole often. This is not hyperbole. This is a truly exceptional fan site. The analysis is outstanding. The, the community and the camaraderie is outstanding. And now that it has been sort of broadened, um, Ryan has maintained some pretty good contacts with the team. I have a, a decent history myself in terms of uh, professional journalism, so I have a pretty good feel for how to approach a, a ball club or an organization, et cetera. And and it wasn't that complicated. They were very amenable to it. I, I said, I'm representing Let's Go Tribe, and, and it was sort of a thumbs up. It was more of a, uh, 
sounds great to us. We'll contact Tom, and if Tom wants to do it, he'll do it. And uh, I heard back from the team the next day, and they said, Tom's happy to do it. Here's how you get in contact with him. Now, we, we played a little uh, phone tag, and that was because right when we were going to do this, number one, the team was on fire, and uh, his nightly calls were something something of, uh, of beauty every single night for about three weeks. And also, that was right when the Aroldis Chapman thing happened. And, uh, sure. Then it got harder to get a hold of Tom for good reason because unfortunately he was he was making top page headlines on ESPN.com. He didn't want to deal with uh, right. you know uh, with the reporter who thought they were going to grill him. Now I told the team you know that's not what the premise of the interview was about. So you know we can we don't have to make that the focus of the interview. But it took a little longer to nail it down only because they're so busy, et cetera. And we finally talked last week, and he, he was it was a nice chat. And you said the the t- the team maybe wondered if the Chapman comments were what you're going to want to talk about. Did you have the sense while you were talking to Hamilton that there were certain topics you ought to avoid? No, I, I didn't, and there were never any real ground rules. Uh, it was more of a, of a professional courtesy that I, you know, you don't want to ask somebody if they'll do an interview with you, and then the next day show up and and um, try try to. I don't want to say bait and switch, but you've got to be professional about it. So did we talk about sure. issues like that? Did we talk about issues uh, regarding how, uh, as you saw in the piece, he spoke about being blunt, being honest, and occasionally saying things that maybe the front office wouldn't love, but, you know, he thinks that's part of his job. We talked about those things, but, you know, I, I thought it would be unfair to Tom if that's all we talked about. So, And certainly I thought it would be unfair to our readership because that incident is over and, and there's a lot more interesting things to talk about with Tom Hamilton. And, Absolutely. And we did. I thought one of the interesting things you talked to him about was that idea of the team ever being maybe not uncomfortable, but uh, I guess for lack of a better word, uncomfortable with anything he said. And it sounds like from what he told you, the team has a fairly hands-off approach with his broadcasts. Which I think is wise. Um, I I really give the front office a lot of credit. I mean, I, I we can debate the baseball moves, Um and we can talk about why attendance is down, but I, I think there are a lot of innovative things they do. I think they work really hard, and, and they're pretty media savvy. They're very responsive to media, and I think they're pretty smart with with understanding what they have in Tom Hamilton, which is I think he is absolutely right. In, in, in the piece that you read, he talked about, you know, if you don't have credibility and trust in your fan base, you're not going to last and you're not going to be appreciated, and no one's going to trust you whether you're positive or negative on a nightly basis. And I think the Indians as a ball club understand he will occasionally be tough on players. And, and we hear it on a nightly basis, sometimes you know, in, in the game threads, there's a, there's a discussion on, well, Tom's in the get-off-the-lawn mode kind of a thing. But um, <laughs> but he, he can be tough, and I think the team knows that that is part of the deal. Um, you know, that's what you get with Tom Hamilton, and that sort of take it or leave it, and the team isn't going to press it. Now, after the Chapman thing, was there some discussion behind the scenes? There might have been more than we heard about, but that's probably right. the extent of it. And, and I think they do trust him to know where that line is in the same way that the Cleveland Cavaliers knew that with Joe Tate. You know, Joe, I remember listening to a playoff basketball game in 93 or 4 with the Boston Celtics, and Joe Tate said, now a whistle and now what? Kevin McHale just got called for traveling for the first time in his life, Cavs ball. And, <laughs> you know, it's those kind of little pointed remarks that I think fans – appreciate and we've been fortunate in the Joe Tate and the and the Tom Hamiltons of the world to have that. So the team doesn't really challenge it. I, I will tell you this, Jason, the one thing that I thought really stood out to well there were a couple of things that stood out, but what really stood out to me first and foremost is Tom never mentioned Manny Lucky by name, but after Maniac, after last season, 
there were some of the players talking about him kind of losing the clubhouse, et cetera. So when Tom Hamilton says he would walk into the clubhouse last year and that team before games would be beat, that is an indictment of the manager and without saying so directly. And that's, you know, that's, that's too bad because a lot of us at Let's Go Tribe, I think we're very optimistic about Manny. Um, he seems like a nice person. So that was a little surprising, but we've heard a lot of that, and that just lined up with what we heard about last season. So um, that's too bad, but that that seems to have certainly changed this year. Yeah, I, th- I mean, Francona came came in with, with such a strong reputation. Um, I mean, the end of his time in Boston was sort of bizarre, uh, but I think ultimately with a little distance from that, and especially seeing what they went through last year after he was gone, uh, it seems pretty clear that he's, I don't know how, how big a difference the average manager makes, uh, but he seems like one of maybe the small number who really can have a big impact on a team, which for you know a team like the Indians, that's not going to have the advantages that a team like Boston can have outside a manager, you know, financial advantages. Uh, to be able to have a manager like him, I think, is a huge boost. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we're not even quite halfway through the season, but... Uh, right. I don't know. I, I, I feel better about the team than I did a year ago. I, I, I really agree, and I think uh, I think we spend way too much time in baseball um, focusing on, you know, oh, who's going to be the manager, what, the manager search. I mean, if you've got 20 candidates for manager, 19 of them will essentially accomplish the same thing. They're, right. not, the ones, they're not the ones changing the personnel. The difference with Terry Francona is, from everything you've heard and read, Terry Francona is the kind of manager that can make sure the front office can bring in certain players. You heard it from Swisher. You heard it from other people who've come into the, into the team. And so on a day-to-day basis, yeah, we can talk strategy. We can wonder why the hell Rich Hill is in the game again. But um, it does sound like Terry has an impact in making sure that certain personnel are brought into the team to begin with, and that is a real impact. Sure. I thought the, the, the other part of the Hamilton thing that uh, – he talked a little bit about the the more advanced sabermetric, whatever you'd like to call them, um, statistics, metrics like war or uh, win yeah. probability, things like that. Um, certainly I wasn't surprised by him saying that he's not a big fan of using them in the broadcast, uh, but I thought his explanation for it was interesting. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what he said and, and your take on why he doesn't like those statistics? Yeah. Yeah, and I had an an ambivalence about his response because it's disappointing to me that we're still stuck on these outdated numbers. Um, You know, I'll never forget hearing Joe Morgan say that Dave Burba was the best pitcher in the American League because he won 11 games in the first half or something. So I guess in the second half when he won three games, he just forgot how to pitch. We're still stuck on such silly statistical analysis that it holds fans back. So that disappoints me that Tom – feels that a lot of the new stuff is, in his words, the newfangled stats go too far. Um, but at the same time, uh, he his explanation, uh, I agree with you, made sense and it was interesting to me in that um, he feels that his job is to call the game and tell the story of the game and allow the listener to, to picture what's going on and to enjoy the broadcast. And if you... You know, every time someone comes to the plate, if I say, you know, now batting Carlos Santana with an 880 OPS on the season in the last month, you know, he's contributed 1.2 WAR and 
And uh, last year he was on a pace for 4.3 war before he tailed off for this and that. And, you know, that is not storytelling. That's not and, – and maybe it's been discussed in the thread for that piece. Maybe that's more of the, the television analyst's job uh, or, or elsewhere. Maybe that's a print journalist's job. That's not something that is going to paint a good picture or tell a good story. Um, and Hamilton feels that you can, in his words, number people to death and people, listeners will go numb if you overdo it on the numerical analysis. I, I certainly get that. Um, I really, really do, and I appreciate that because I, I'm, I'm going to accept his explanation and be happy what we have with him, uh, warts and all. It's really, really good stuff from him on a nightly basis. Um, but I do think it's possible and it's a good idea going forward for anyone who works in, in baseball whether you're a broadcaster or a print journalist or you're an analyst of the team or a scout, et cetera, to really understand the numbers, maybe decide which ones you think are more valuable and not, but, but listen to the numbers and find a way to work them in. You don't have to read 25 numbers for every batter to have a good understanding of, you know, the difference between the value of batting average and on-base percentage or even BABIP, things like that. I don't know if you guys call it BABIP. I've said BABIP my whole life. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I, I look at something like BABIP that something should be relevant to a, a listener and easily understood, but that never gets brought into a ball, ball right. a, a, a game cast. Yeah. You'll never hear Matt Underwood would, would think of it like a rocket scientist, like, like it's rocket science. So I, I think that stuff should be more basic and understandable, and I'd like to see more guys approach it. Yeah, I, I agree with what he's saying that you can overdo it with the numbers, but I feel like you could do a better job of the numbers you choose with a little explanation, and you could slowly shift to to better numbers. Um, you know, I live in Chicago, and so I end up watching a lot of Cubs and White Sox broadcasts. And I mean, talk about night and day with the White Sox. You have Hawk Harrelson, who I think everyone sort of knows Hawk Harrelson, and he's yeah. I mean, he's awful. I, I, I mean, he might be a nice guy. I don't know. But I, he's horrible to listen to. And he's incredibly against all of these new things. He was on the MLB network talking with Brian Kenny a few weeks ago and you know, somehow came up with uh, what he called TWTW, the will to win, and saying that was the only advanced statistic that really mattered. And apparently the White Sox don't have it very well this year. But I mean, he's so adamantly against it. But on the other hand, on the Cubs broadcast, you have Len Casper, who's not nearly as well-known, but I think he does an incredible job. And he goes out of his way. I think there's even maybe Saturday or Sunday afternoons, there's one day of the week where he, he, he introduces one new statistic and kind of explains it and drops it into the broadcast a few times. And then by doing that, he can kind of more casually drop it in you know, in later broadcasts as the season goes on. Um, and they combine that with smart graphics that, you know, help yeah. give you a sense of what it means and give you a scale for it, what's excellent, what's average, what's bad. Um, but gradually, I think listeners and viewers, you know, you if you weren't already familiar with it, you're right, you know, people can take that in and, and then it makes sense. And now you don't have to overnumber it, but the numbers that you're using casually – are the better ones. And, and I'd love I, to see I, more. I couldn't agree more. more and, and, and by the way, the broadcaster you're talking about, I, I haven't even heard one of his game calls, and now I want to listen to him. Uh, yeah, because if, if that's you the, ever that's have the, the chance kind of to drop in a Cubs game, Len Casper does fantastic work. 
That's great. And and frankly, the Hawk Harrelson thing on TWTW, you know, he says a lot of stupid things. That's among the stupidest thing I've ever heard anyone say. Um, <laughs> and, and if I were interviewing, if I were interviewing him, I would essentially say it just like that. I, because here's a perfect example: when Johnny Peralta played with the Indians, you had so many fans. I had family members who said, "Oh, he just looks lazy. He looks like he doesn't care." You know, et cetera. Well, that's why his batting average is down. Or you know, pick another stupid metric that people think is important. And now he's having a sort of an all-star season, probably because variants happened. I mean, I don't think Johnny Peralta's going to be much value going forward. You know, I would, I wouldn't take him right now. I mean, I mean look, the bottom line but is he's having a nice season. Right yeah, he's having a nice season. So all of a sudden, I'm sure that he's just. He's rediscovered the will to win. Look, I, I, he must have, you know. He's just, he must have more will to win than other players. It just sounds so stupid, and it really sounds stupid coming from somebody who played the game professionally because, you know, okay, I know there is a human element, and sometimes the, the, the way that we get maligned in embracing these new stances, is, well, these aren't robots playing, and you can't calculate someone's desire or, you know, their preparation, et cetera, et cetera. And all those things are true. And, and at some time, it's a valid criticism. But to say that, you know, just because the team wins, well, they must have more will to win than others. The Houston Astros could have the most will to win this year, and they could probably struggle to win 55 games. You know, it's right. just ridiculous. That whole thing is yeah. just so stupid. And that's what holds us back. And, and yet here we are, and most of the people with the top-paying jobs still look at TWTW. So TW squared, I'm going to call it as some interesting <laughs> metric, when it's not. It, it's it's ridiculous. Hawk Elson doesn't agree with squaring things. He's confused him. Yeah, we, I, we should avoid the squares with him. That's that's, a, that's, that's an advanced <laughs> metric, yeah. So, all right, let's 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 talk 2013 Indians. How are you feeling about the team right now? They're exactly where, where I thought they would be, um, and I am – I'm not someone who thinks this is a playoff team, and I I really, really like what they're doing. Um, I am supportive of a lot of the offseason moves because what I think is they have given this team a chance that if um, if they overperform or if they overachieve, you know, within a realistic range, because every year no one's going to have a career average year every season, and if you have – Three quarters of this team have an overperforming season, especially on the pitching side, um, and Detroit sort of underperforms. Um, you could definitely see a playoff challenge from this team, and I I love Major League Baseball playoffs because they're such BS. You know, any team that gets in has a realistic. <laughs> they are such a small sample compared to the full season that right. all you have to do is get in, and you can realistically hope to win the whole thing. Whereas in basketball, that's not the case. In football, that's really not the case. Baseball, that's absolutely the case. So uh, I love the idea of trying to get a team in position to make the playoffs. Now, I've never thought this team is, is going to do that. I think they've got a chance that they overperform to do it. But that pitching staff is just never, to me, um, giving me the kind of confidence that says they'll be there at the end. Um, and last year, bullpen was so good but it was just sort of it, – it, bullpens don't happen like that year to year. You may have a, a guy or two who goes a long-term at a high-achieving level, but look at Vinny Pistano this year and look at that Fangraphs piece. There's a lot of reasons to be concerned, and maybe Cody Allen and those guys who uh, can step up and replace those roles or, or at least supplant um, a guy like Perez if he eventually is gone. But 
I'm I'm not an optimist that this is going to be a playoff team, uh, but I like in general I think they've they've built the team intelligently to give it a chance. If I'm making sense. Yeah, I think we're on pretty much the exact same page. I went into the season feeling like this is roughly a five team, which is a huge improvement from last year. Yeah, um, yeah. And if you have a team with talent so five hundred, then you have a team that with the right breaks you know, wins 88, 90 games and makes the playoffs. And I think that's where they are. You mentioned the bullpen. Actually, I have a, a post that's going to go up at Let's Go Tribe later this afternoon about the bullpen. Like you said, the bullpen was good the last couple of years. Uh, and this year, it's really been rocky. Uh, you know, Pistano struggling, Perez struggling, and then going on the DL and apparently, you know, maybe headed for a longer stint there after really, I think he gave up three home runs in Akron to double-A hitters Tuesday night, and the team feels like maybe something's still wrong. Uh, the left-handed situation, they can't find anyone who throws left-handed to do anything, but they insist on sending them out, out there. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I mean, sort of what I say in the post is the team's whatever margin for possibly making the playoffs the team has is, is too thin for this kind of bullpen work to keep up. And if, if this doesn't get turned around, they lose a couple more games of the bullpen, and it's going to be games they can't afford to lose come October. I, I um, couldn't agree more. I look forward to that piece. And, and I've been saying in the game threads for a few weeks now, uh, we need to get past the notion that you must have a lefty in a high leverage situation against a lefty yeah. if it's going to be Rich Hill or right now Nick Hagenen. You know, maybe right. Scott Kazmier's maybe they, you know, there's been a lot of talk about moving Kazmier to the bullpen and yep. maybe he's that kind of guy. And maybe he is because, by the way, uh, he's had a few starts where he kind of knew, for example, let's say he knew his sixth inning was going to be his last inning, and he's up there cranking up a fastball to 95-96. Right, airing it out. If, if, yeah, if, if he's airing it out for one inning or even one or two hitters, maybe there's a real chance for Kazmir to be kind of a quasi-power pitcher with a decent off-speed pitch um, out of the bullpen. Do I think it's worth it? And shot? that would really – I mean, that would be a huge success for him. I feel like yes. a lot of fans came into the season because he did well in spring training feeling like, oh, we've got a great fourth or fifth starter now and are now – you know, upset that he's not doing better. I mean, he hasn't been an effective major league pitcher for years. If he could no. turn into a, a solid seventh inning guy or, you know, left-handed specialist, I mean, that would be a, a fantastic return for what the Indians are paying him. Yeah, there's think, no question. And when I talk about this team needing players to overperform, Kazmir is overperforming, and he's at, right. least in the position that, he's at least in the position that maybe he contributes um, as a starter out of the bullpen. That would be more than we could have reasonably expected. Uh, but look at the rest of the team. I mean, people are saying, oh, man, Stubbs and Reynolds have been terrible. But look at their season numbers. They are exactly what we yeah. should have expected. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Mark Reynolds got off to such an incredible start, and people were saying, oh, this is, you know, the greatest signing ever. We should sign him to a three-year extension. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's slow down. Let's see where he's at in a couple months. And it didn't even take a couple months. I mean, no. Three weeks later, he's been he's been a little better the last week, but I mean, from early May to early June, you could make a case he was about the worst everyday player in baseball. And you average yeah, it out I, with his great start, and he sort of is who he is. Yeah, it, it, he goes through weeks where he couldn't hit the ocean if he fell out of a boat, and this is sort of a, a surprise to fans who hadn't maybe seen him in past seasons and saw his first month. I look at Mark Reynolds and say, okay, if you would have told me here's his triple slash and here are his numbers 
at the beginning yep. of the season, if you would have told me in the middle of June, I would have said, eh, you know, I probably could have hoped for a little better, but that's not bad. He's leading the team in the in the you know in the categories that a lot of fans look at, the home runs and RBIs, and right. and as long as he isn't the guy who has to carry the team all season long on offense, that's fine. We know exactly what he is, um, and we know exactly what he's capable of. But that first month when everyone was saying, I heard some people say, if I'm a five- or six-year deal, you know, that, that's when you, 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 gonna, you really want to buy high because that guy will never be higher than he was that month. And, and in the last right. month he's been among the very worst players in all of baseball. So that's what Mark Reynolds is. Yeah. Drew Stubbs has been exactly what we thought he would be. Swisher and Cabrera have been worse. And look at Cabrera in the last five years. He doesn't play a full season of games. That's concerning. Michael Brantley, you know, okay, he hit two home runs yesterday. And when he does, by the way, he makes it look so easy. You don't you don't <laughs> understand why he doesn't hit 25. But he doesn't hit 25. He is, you know, sort of what he is, which is a maybe a 100 OPS plus kind of mediocre outfielder. It's a weird kind of a team right now because they do get hot and then they get very cold and they sort of average out to exactly what I thought they would be, which is a pretty good team. And let's hope they get hot for the next couple of months, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think your assessment is right. Uh, the one player who's really jumped out to me, I think probably to, to most Indians fans, uh, the last week or two has been Corey Kluber. Uh, Kluber, Kluber? I'm not sure. I should know. I, I think it's Kluber, but let's settle this. Do you say Babip or Babip? Uh, I actually say B-A-B-I-P. Uh, oh, well. Ac- okay. Acronym it I out. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I would say Babip, but I don't know. I, I, I tend to just – I don't think I actually say it out loud that much. Well, the good so, news is you have a right to be wrong. It's a great country. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Kluber, I, I, I mean, his – it's got it's Kluber. It's got to be Kluber. And what I, I am most right. encouraged about is he doesn't walk anybody. And so yeah, he gives me hope. He I even look at him and I think he's got better stuff than Zach McAllister. So oh, I do um, too. And I've been pleasant. But, and hopefully McAllister's back because I've been really pleasantly surprised by him continuing to pitch well this year. Uh, but I, if if you offered me one of those two pitchers for the next couple of years, Kluber's the one I'd take. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Um, and you know he's not on a traditional age track. I mean he's breaking through at the age of 27. That doesn't give you this idea that he's um, a long-term success. But there's plenty of pitchers who have been on unusual age tracks. Um, there isn't anything in in Corey Kluber's background or peripherals or his delivery that makes you think he can't be what we're seeing. Now he's not going right. to be a guy who is the American League pitcher of the week very often, but. Um, he does, he has very good control. Historically, in the minor leagues, he's had pretty good control. But in 2011, his walk rate was the highest it's ever been. So, um, you know, I, this is who he is. is is a is a pretty solid pitcher who is going to slot beautifully into the fourth or fifth slot. And wouldn't that be a bonus given what the, the state yeah. of the team's rotation? Yeah, it really would. I mean, he's yeah, as you said, his walk rate's really low. His strikeout rate is great. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, if if he is who he's been for the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, that, that's a big boost for the rotation and we'll see how long McAllister's out for and, you know, Obaldo Jimenez better than last year, still not really that good, despite what some would have you believe. Uh, well, but, but hold on, hold on. McAllister's out, Kluber's in. Has anybody ever seen them in the same room? I mean, they both have that weird <laughs> thing. 
you know, just one guy fucking two paychecks. Yeah, it would be nice to have a left-handed starter who could who could sort of mix up the rotation um, to the extent that you know anybody believes you need to have a change of pace. It'd be nice if Casimir were that guy long term, but I don't know that he is. And Ubaldo is sort of a change of pace just because of how funky he, he pitches. What worries right. me most is I I watch him pitch, and there are games where you know he'll have ten or twelve batters almost. I would say nine or nine out of ten batters he'll open the game with, and his first pitch is an off-speed pitch. Um, he's, he looks to me frightened to throw a fastball more than he's ever been. And the good news is his, his command relative to last season is better with the off-speed stuff this year. So um, maybe getting ahead with an 84-mile-an-hour splitter or whatever that thing is works, but uh, I, I just fear when guys start to sit on that little 84-mile-an-hour junky hanger um, but hey, how do you feel, Jason? I feel overall he's been better than I hoped. And if you do, you can't do it. But if you wipe out two of his worst starts, he's really been very good. Yeah, he he's been better than I expected. Um, and that's sort of the entire rotation. I mean, I could go name by name, and they've all been a little better than I expected. Uh, you know, Masterson was great a couple of years ago, and then it was kind of a mess last season, and. I was hoping for somewhere in between, and he has been somewhere in between. Um, but he, yep. he's been better. Jimenez was, uh, you know, uh, a train wreck last year, to use sort of a, a Lefko tribe meme. Um, yeah. And but like you said, you know, he's he's been okay, and compared to last year, okay is a big improvement. Um, I, I I don't feel like the rotation is the team's problem right now. Uh, I guess the team has a lot of little problems, whereas last year it was this massive problem. Um, so I, I'll take the rotation the way it is. Uh, you can always hope something's better, but they, they've been better than I thought they would be. And yeah, right I, now I, I think the bullpen's a problem. If this, I think if this was going to be a, a problem. Right. Yeah, if this was going to be a playoff team, the rotation needed to perform essentially the way they've been performing. Um, right. What needs to improve is we need to see um, improvement on offense and we need to see improvement in the bullpen for this to be a playoff yep. team. But, but lo, lo and behold, the rotation is a little bit better than we feared, and that is maybe enough if all the other pieces come together. But I can't yeah, wait to read your bullpen piece. About a week away from – week or two from the season's midpoint, they've got – a winning record just barely. They're in second place just barely. And they're only three and a half games behind Detroit. I think the Tigers have so much more talent than any team in the division. But sort of like last year, it's not quite amounting to as many wins as you'd expect. And, again, I'm, I don't expect they need to make the play. I think they'll probably end up, you know, they'll fall 10, 12 games back. But who knows? Maybe not. Well, what is the Tigers' uh TW squared this year. Maybe it's just not as yeah, high as it needs to hard be. Hard to say. Like you said, Peralta seems to have found it, but... <laughs> That's right. When you talk about bullpen problems, I guess... I, I probably wouldn't trade bullpens with Detroit. I'd love to trade rotations yeah. or third baseman or first baseman, yeah. but I, I yeah. probably wouldn't trade bullpens. No, that has been a a, a napalm disaster, uh, and and that's that's nice to see. I would trade bullpens with Kansas City, despite what we've seen in the last few. Yes, days. agreed. Yeah, in Kansas City, you know they they looked 
like it was going to be another really disappointing season for them three, two, three weeks ago. And they've really charged back. Uh, you know, it was nice for the Indians to take two or three from them this week, but they're right back in the thick of things too. And, you know, they've got some young, interesting players. I, I of course don't want them to beat out the Indians, but I, I feel bad for that fan base. It's been a long time since they've had a good team. I think I read that when they were at 500, uh, a day or two ago, it was the first time they'd been at 500 this far into the season since like 2003. Yeah, that's, I, I agree. That That's a, that's a, a franchise that's easier for me to root for. Um, just not. Yeah. I don't see them I, as I, a, a villain the way I do the Tigers or White Sox. No, no, but we are getting close to that point where let's go tribe is going to start focusing on, you know, buy or sell and trade market options. It's always fun discussion, but I think at least based on my conversation with you today, it sounds like you and I are of the, of the position that says this team is not just one piece away. We need a lot no. to go well, and we're not, we're not in a position where, yeah, you, you know, you dump off uh, a, a few mid- to high-level prospects because we're one piece away. I just don't think that's the case this year, and that's why I don't think you're going to see any big trades. I don't either. I mean, I suppose if the team really struggled in the next few weeks, I could see them trading, you know, being sellers, and hopefully it doesn't come to that. But, I th- yeah, no matter the situation, even if they're somehow in first place by a game or two come the week of the trading deadline, I don't want to see them doing anything to mortgage away the future. I- I'd love them to have to make that decision, you know, being in first place. But, uh, yeah, I-, I don't see this as a team that should be – giving up anything, as you said, for that one piece that they hope is going to put them over the top. I don't think that one piece. Yeah, you know, maybe Swisher and his group will come back and start hammering the ball, and and maybe the offense improves in the second half, or maybe we, you know, we get ourselves in position to contend, and they can think about the kind of trade that brings in, you know, not a stud, but a complimentary piece that doesn't cost you that much, maybe. Um, And that would be fun, and and that might be possible. Uh, But I just don't think you're going to see a whole lot of realistic discussion about big moves, which is which is fine. Um, this is not like the Washington Nationals last year, where they gave up Strasburg for the playoffs for some ridiculous reason, and you know because uh, they want to protect their long-term investments. I mean, that was a silly kind of a thing. I think this Tribe team is probably not going to be there, but if they can get in that position, you know, that would be fun. That would be fun. Well, Evan, thank you for joining me. We're running out of time here. Um, Hope to have you back as a guest sometime in the not-so-distant future. It's been great talking with you. Thanks, man. uh, We're going to do do our best. If I could just throw in a little pitch here, we're going to do our best to keep keep after the Tribe. Uh, Really, the Indian front office has been really good to Let's Go Tribe, so we're going to see what other players and and members of the front office we can talk to and do interviews with because I think – LGT is different than a lot of other sites. It, it opens up for great comments and great discussion, and I hope we can do more of that, so we're going to try. Absolutely. Thanks, Evan. Thank you. All right, that was Evan Dawson. If you haven't already, you should go to Let's Go Tribe and read his interview with Tom Hamilton. Uh, it's interesting stuff from Tom and well put together. Uh, and I'm trying to get the hang of, of doing this podcast. It'd be great to be able to have uh, some guests from the Indians on eventually. I don't think we're there yet, uh, but that would be neat. And uh, be back next week with episode three. Thanks a lot.